In Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going through this summer, portraits of faith, we're looking at different people of faith and how they are remembered. Today we look at an incredible man named Enoch who we don't know a whole lot about. We look at Enoch this morning, and here's how Enoch was remembered. A man who walked with God. Scripture tells us very little about this man, Enoch, but what it tells us about him is very pointed. It's very clear. His epitaph, although he never died, and we're going to read about this in just a minute, he never died. We'll see that in the Scriptures. But he's remembered as a man who walked with God. If he would have died, if he had a gravestone, if he had a tombstone, it would say, Enoch, a man who walked with God. What an incredible epitaph. I challenge all of us here this morning to live a life, to imitate the faith of the people that we see here in the scriptures, and particularly this morning, Enoch, to live our lives in a way where people would say about us, so-and-so, fill in the blank, put your name in that blank, a person who walked with God, a man who walked with God, a woman who walked with God. What if that was your epitaph. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Enoch and see what it takes to live the kind of life where that can be said about us. And it may take different characteristics. It may take different shape for each one of us. But what if our life could be boiled down into that statement? So-and-so, they walked with God. So let's see what scripture tells us about Enoch. I've asked my wife, Brittany, to come and read for us the passages that primarily deal with Enoch. And so we'll start here in Genesis chapter 5, and then we'll move into Hebrews. Reading from Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam lived were, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And now reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, if you would please stand for this portion of scripture. 
It's on page 100, or 1007. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And God, we ask this morning that we would draw near towards you. We do believe that you are here in this place, that you reside in your people, that it's not this building that contains the presence of the living God, but the people who enter here. We are the presence. We are the temple where the presence of the living God dwells. And so this morning, I pray that we would draw ever closer to you, that those of us who have you living in our hearts would draw closer to you, the Heavenly Father. And then those who may be here this morning who are checking out this Christianity thing and don't have you living, I pray that they would draw near, that you would draw near to them, that they would receive you. And I pray that you would make your word come alive to us this morning, that we would be a people of faith, a people who walk with God, a people who please God. We ask these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may have a seat. So those are primarily the passages that teach us about Enoch. Not a whole lot of content in our Bibles about this man. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of words in the book that you hold on your lap and very few given to Enoch. There's one more passage, Jude, um, verses 14 and 15 that talk about Enoch, but that's it. That's all we have on Enoch. Here's what we know about this man. Based off of what Genesis told us, he lived 365 years, which may sound like a really long time, But in the context of that passage which was read, you may have noticed that was a fairly short amount of time. Everyone else was living eight to 900 years, and Enoch, the poor guy, he only lived 365 years. But God took him. He never died. We learned from this passage that he never died. God just took him, and it was because of his faith. It was because of his walk with God. Somehow there was this this connection between God and Enoch where God just took him. And we're not going to dive into that this morning. Some people will spend their entire um, discovery of Enoch trying to figure out why God took him and what that looks like and what that means. I don't really think that's necessarily fruitful for us this morning. But it is a fact of his life. He never died. And we know that he walked with God, which pleased God. Genesis 5 says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, for God took him. And then Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he pleased God. And so that's the characteristic of this man's life that we have to go off of. That's the characteristic that we have to make observation of. And just in general, as we go through this sermon series, Portraits of Faith, my hope and prayer for this is that as we go through Hebrews 11, we will make observations of people who have gone before us, and imitate their life. Hebrews 6.12 tells us to imitate those who have gone before us. Hebrews 13.7 tells us to imitate those who have gone before us. So us as a church, as we grow up in a Christ-likeness, one of the things that we're commanded to do is to look around at people who are walking a life of faith, who are living life with Jesus the Christ, and we are to imitate their life. And then Hebrews 11 gives us an entire chapter of people that we are called to imitate. And so many of us want mentors, and we're looking for mentors, and I think real-life mentors are a good thing to have. We also have some incredible spiritual mentors here in the Scriptures. Let Enoch be a mentor to us this morning. And some of us want, we want like seminars and teachings and things that teach us exactly what to do, and there's a time and a place 
for that, but I can assure you, I, I was actually just, I was at a seminar, so I learned this at a seminar, so they're worthwhile. I learned this at a seminar this last week that 80, 90% of what we do is from what we observe, not from what we've been explicitly taught. And so what I want us to do as we go through Hebrews 11 and look at these figures of faith, I want us to look at their portraits. I want us to make observations about their life. And I want us to take those observations and then have us turn them into application. As Scripture tells us to imitate those who have gone before us, let's look at the life of Enoch, let's learn from Enoch, let's make some observation about Enoch's life, and then let's make some application. If we would like an epitaph similar to his, and I submit to you that we all should, here lies so-and-so, a person who walked with God. What more could we have to be said about us? So that's my hope for us as we look at Enoch this morning. Enoch, a man of faith. Let's look again at Hebrews chapter. Actually, you know what? Before we, before we look at Hebrews 11, um, I think part of the reason that we have so little detail about Enoch's life is that, I, 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 so God, God breathed out Scripture. The Bible is his authoritative word. It is divinely inspired by the Lord. And so in Hebrews 11, we have a lot of figures that we have a lot about. We're going to look at Abraham. We're going to look at Moses. We can go into the Old Testament and see a ton about these two figures. We can make a lot of observation about their life. Enoch, we can't make a whole lot of observation. We read the passages this morning that help us make observation about his life. And I think that's intentional. I think the reason why there's not a whole lot about Enoch in the scriptures is because God oversaw what was in this book about the life of Enoch, and I think he intentionally left out detail so that most of us could connect with this guy. In fact, my thought is most of you feel like you can't connect with Abraham, this great figure of the faith who God called out onto this incredible missionary journey. He left all that he knew. It's like what the Revises are doing, leaving all that they know and going to this foreign land to make disciples. God called Abram, changed his name to Abraham, sent him into this foreign land, this great adventure. Moses, how about Moses? What an incredible story he is. This great figure of the faith, this guy who went into the heart of Egypt and challenged Pharaoh and led God's people out of Egypt. These stories are incredible and they're big and there's amazing observation we can make in them. But I don't think most of us in this room feel like we connect with Abraham. Like his story is our story. Some of you do. Some of you are taking the, kind of that on the surface, it looks radical, steps of faith. I don't think most of us feel like we can connect with Moses going into this dangerous land and challenging the leader of that dangerous land to let my people go and leading them out. But I think a lot of us can connect with Enoch, a guy who we know nothing about. He walked with God. That's what we have. Now, we don't know exactly what his life looked like. We know that it looked different than ours. He didn't have electricity. He didn't, he, he didn't have a sewer system. He didn't have the luxuries that we have. So we don't know what his life looked like. I mean, we know on the surface it looked very different. But we have to wonder, did he just live an ordinary life? I mean, did he just kind of go about his business day after day? Is that why Scripture leaves out that that he wasn't on a great grand adventure like these other figures of the faith? We don't exactly know. But I think Enoch is placed here for us to connect with him. 
If you feel like your life is kind of mundane, like you can't quite identify with Abraham and Moses and Sarah and Rahab and some of these other figures, I would submit to you that Enoch is in here the way that he is so that we could feel like we can connect with him. I believe many of us feel ordinary, and as a result, we wonder how God might use us mightily. If I'm so ordinary, if my life is so ordinary, nine to five, I live in the same house, I do the same job, I have this ordinary life, how, how would God ever use me in a mighty way? Well, I think Enoch is in here, and I think in his life, we see a path for how to, how to live an ordinary life with extraordinary faith. So if you are a person who feels like you have an ordinary life, I think we'll discover in Enoch a path for living in extraordinary faith. Let's look at what Hebrews says about him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. So Genesis told us that he walked with God and he was not. That's about all. We know who his dad was. We know who his kids were. He walked with God. He was not. Hebrews 11 elaborates on this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith. This is all about faith. And what is faith? In the life of Enoch, we see that faith is walking with God. Based off of these passages, I want to define walking with God this way this morning. The walk of faith. I define it as to walk with God is to believe that he exists, to trust that he is good, and to go where he leads. To believe in God, to believe that he exists, to trust that he is good, and to go where he leads. And we see this right here in this text in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, I love that the, the author, the preacher of Hebrews makes this so clearly seen. Verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's where it starts. We need to believe that God exists. You don't draw near to somebody, you don't walk with somebody that you don't believe exists. Some people, it seems like they're, like they're drawing near to an imaginary friend, right? You may see somebody walking and talking to themselves. Well, they believe that person exists. That's why they're talking to them. They have this voice in their head. They believe that that person exists. When you spend time with somebody, any person that you have a real relationship with, you must believe that that person exists. And so this is where it starts for us. Belief in God. We have to believe in God. Belief is an intellectual assent. It's, it's, a, it's a thing of the mind. It's an intellectual assent that's based on observation, study, experience, data, history, etc. Fill in the blank. Belief is something that happens in our head. We, we come to believe something because we've tested it, because we've studied it, because we've observed it, because we can say that I believe this to be true. This is a necessary component of our faith. We must believe that God exists. If we're going to draw near to him, if we're going to have any chance of walking with him, we need to believe, we need to have intellectual assent to the fact that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Yahweh, that he's real, that he actually exists. And so how do we do that? Well, you read God's word, you stay in God's community, you become a lifelong learner. 
I love stories of a, of a guy like Lee Strobel, who was an um, editor at the Chicago Tribune in Chicago, and his wife became a Christian through this Bible study thing, and then she started telling him about God, and because he was a, a researcher, he, w- he wrote for the Chicago Tribune, he was a researcher, a studier, he didn't believe in God, and so he started to test the facts. He went on this search to see, well, okay, is this God make-believe thing or is this God real? And so he started to study. He started to make observation. He started to test the data out there. He started to look at history. And he came to the conclusion that God really exists, that Jesus really exists. He wrote a book called Case for Faith, Case for Christ, and one other book in that Case for Faith. Case for Faith, Case for Christ, Case for Creator. And so he studied the data. And so there's ways that we can do this. As human beings with brains that God has given us, we can grow to believe that God exists. If you're here this morning and you already believe in God, you probably sense those times when you start to doubt and question. Well, get a good book. Listen to a good sermon. Ask some good questions of people who you trust to continue to develop your belief. If you're a person here today who doesn't believe in God or you have some serious questions, send me an email. I would love to connect you with some good resources so that you could study, so that you could look at the data, so that you could look at the historical facts about creation, about Jesus and how he really lived. My goal in this sermon this morning isn't to convince us to believe in God. It's just to make the observation that this passage tells us that in order to walk with him, we have to believe in him. That's where it starts. We need to believe in God, but that's not enough. The Bible tells us that even demons believe in God and they shudder. James chapter 2. Even demons believe in God and they shudder. Intellectual assent in God is required, but it's not salvific. We are not saved by believing that God exists up here. In fact, this is, a, this is part of the problem with American Christianity is that we are, a, we are an informed bunch for the most part. We are an intellectual society. A few weeks ago, we watched a video about um, Crew International Bridges Ministry where it told us that the world is coming to America for college because America is all about head knowledge, right? And so we have hundreds, thousands of people in our society who have an intellectual assent that there's a God. They will tell you, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but it's not enough. So that's a piece of faith, but it's not salvific. It's not saving. Belief in God doesn't save us. James 2, even the demons believe and they shudder. So what else is required? Well, we need to trust that he is good. Trust is proven by action. One must step out in faith, showing trust in the object to whom they claim to believe. Look at how Hebrews tells us this. So verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, intellectual assent, and that he rewards those who seek after him. He rewards those who seek after him. Our belief needs to translate into trust, where we trust that God is good. He rewards those who seek after him. He rewards those who follow him. His character, his nature, his personhood is good. And he has good for us. This is where salvation is created. It's in the realm of trust. It's not in the realm of belief. 
You can have intellectual assent to the fact that there is a God, but no trust of that God. Salvation happens when we step out and we trust God, when we take him at his word, when we believe that he is good and he has good planned for us. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road for most of us. Let me ask you a question. How has your trust been tested? How has your trust been tested? Some of you may be wrestling with the belief side of things this morning, but I think most of us are wrestling with the trust side of things. Can I really trust this God? My marriage failed. Did God cause that to happen? Did God allow that to happen? My car broke down in a moment of financial difficulty when I had no money to repair it. Why would God let that happen? Can I trust him? My family fell apart. Can I really trust this God? I lost my job. Why, why would God allow that to happen? I lost a loved one. Why would God allow that to happen? Can I, can I trust him? I, I, sure, I believe that he exists, but can I really trust him? This is where the rubber meets the road for us and where we really need to search our hearts and spend time with God and really ask the question, do we trust that he is good? I mean, I could throw verses at you over and over again proving to us that he's good, but do we really trust it? And, and if we don't, how do we build trust? We build trust by continued experience. Trust proves our belief. So if we say we believe in something and we never move in that direction, it, it shows that our beliefs are false. I mean, if you say that you believe that that pew is going to hold you up, but you never sit in it, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, you're here and, and I'm like, I physically try to put you down and you resist me. You say, I believe that this pew will hold me if I sit on it, but I've never seen you sit in it. I'm not going to have faith that you believe in that pew to hold you up, even though you say you may have intellectual assent that it will, but you don't trust it enough to sit down on it. So trust is proven by action. And so as we wrestle through this relationship with God, can I trust him? The only way to know whether or not we trust him and the only way to grow in our trust of him is to continue to have our faith, have our belief move us into action. This is also what James 2 tells us about it. James 2 tells us that even the demons believe and shudder, and then it says that our faith must result in action, in works. Actually, let's look at it real quickly here. James chapter 2. And when I get there, I will tell you the page number that it's on. It's on page 1012. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So we can think of works as action, to follow God, to do what he asks us to do. What good is it if, my, if someone says that they have faith but it does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed intellectual assent, and then he responded. He trusted God to step out. That was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so true faith, it's intellectual assent, it's believing in God, but it's this kind of belief that causes us to step out into works, either doing good works for God or just trusting him. I mean, that's the initial work, right? Is to trust God's word, to trust that he is enough, to trust that he has his good plan for us, and to step out and trust him. In fact, there's a video that I think will help illustrate this for us, so if we could jump to that. Well, duh, right? I mean, every analogy breaks down. But I think that illustrates for us the point that true faith is action. 
you have to trust the one that you believe in or that you claim to believe in. You have to step out. You have to get into a relationship with God. You have to get into his grasp, into his grip, and say, I will let you carry me because I trust you. And I love this gospel story. I can't think of it off the top of my head where it is, but this centurion comes to Jesus and his daughter is dying and he asks Jesus to heal her and, um, and Jesus says, I will. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's true for many of us. So God is gracious with this. God is gracious with us when, when our trust is lacking because of hard things in our life where things didn't go according to plan, where it seemed like God let us down in certain circumstances. God is gracious with us when, we, when our trust is weak. But we need to fan this into flames. God wants us to trust him. He has proved himself over and over again. That's what we have here in Hebrews 11. We have stories, we have portraits of people who trusted God, they stepped out, and God never let them fall. They may have died. I mean, they did die. The apostles, they were martyred for their faith, so God allowed them to die. So our trust in God can't be tied to physical, personal preferences of circumstances in our physical realm and world. Trust of God has to do with something deeper it doesn't have to do with our car that broke down, ultimately. I mean, that may be a little interaction there with God that we have to wrestle through, but it, it's not ultimately that. It doesn't have to do with the, the job that we hope we get that we can never understand. It has to do with something much deeper. God, do I trust you? You created all things. You know me better than I know myself. You can see the future. I cannot. Will I step out and follow? Will I trust you? First of all, we have to ask, will I trust? And then the next one is step out and follow. That's the last component. That we need to go where God leads. So once we step out, that initial step of faith in trusting him, we need to continue to go where he leads. I mean, if we take that, that Charles Blondin example and we get in the wheelbarrow and he starts and we freak out and want to turn around right away, that didn't show that we had faith or trust in him to get us across that tightrope, right? So true faith a faith like Enoch had, it's to walk with God day in and day out. You have to believe he exists. We can't walk with God if we don't believe in him. We have to trust him. You don't go on a walk with a person that you don't trust. And if you do, it's an awkward walk. I've actually done a few of these. I've, I've on a few different times that I've been in certain places, I've had to go somewhere with somebody that I didn't necessarily know and I knew certain things about them, but I didn't know them. And so you're always nervous, right? You make sure you have your phone with you. You're trying to keep your eye on things around you so that you can control circumstances so that you can take care of things. I got kicked off of a subway one night at about 11 p.m. on a Friday night in downtown New York. Um, don't ask why I got kicked off. I'll tell you later. Um, and I didn't know where I was. A guy came up to me and said, I will help you get where you need to go. And I was like, okay, let's go. I didn't trust him. He got me there. I trusted him afterward. And so trust requires this relationship. But it's proven by staying with God. We must go where he leads. True faith remains with God through various trials and circumstances. Life is filled with trials and various circumstances, some good, some bad. But true faith remains with God. 
True faith isn't conditional. Our trust in God, trust is built conditionally, right? It is. Trust isn't unconditional. It's built conditionally. So some of us wrestle with trust because we don't understand why God did a certain thing. But trust is developed. And we develop our trust by looking at the scriptures, namely Hebrews 11 this morning, and seeing how God has proven himself faithful. How he has gotten those people across the tightrope. Hundreds, thousands of people. We develop trust in God by living our lives in community with one another. Where we can see where one of our brothers or sisters went through a hard time and God carried them. And so, trust is built, it's developed. And it continues to follow God in spite of circumstances. True faith remains with God through various trials and circumstances. It stays the course that he creates. God's in charge. He's creating the, he, he's leading this walk. If we, like Enoch, want to walk with God, we're walking with God. Side by side, maybe we're one step behind. He's leading the way and we are with him. We are staying on the course that God creates, keeping in step with his spirit. We have an advantage on Enoch. So Enoch's epitaph, if he had one, he never died, so he doesn't have an epitaph. But he didn't have Jesus, the Messiah. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that he was a man of faith who walked with God. Well, guess what, people? If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have faith, if we believe and we are working on stepping out and trusting him, we have something greater than Enoch did. It's called the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the constant companion with us to lead us where God goes. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 25. It's on page 975 in the Pew Bible. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. This is the Apostle Paul saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we want to go where God leads, we walk by his Spirit, which has been given to us. In fact, if you keep reading in Hebrews 11, at the end of Hebrews 11, the author says that, that what we have in Jesus Christ is better than what these figures had. What we have... Our ability to walk with God, for that to be our epitaph, is greater than Enoch's because we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Church, we have the living God inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to walk with God. We have the ability to walk with God. If you're struggling with belief, pray and ask God to bolster your belief, to enhance your belief. Read some books, listen to some podcasts, meet with some people. If you're struggling to trust, continue to step out. I mean, that, that's why it's faith, right? It's risky to us because we only see what's behind us. We don't see what's in front of us. 
But as we look in the rearview mirror and we see how God has been faithful through the years to us, to other people, to people in the scriptures, we can look out the windshield and trust where God is taking us and we can remain with him through the circumstances, through the trials, as his spirit dwells in us, giving us this power to remain in a close, intimate walk of communion with him. That's what God wants from us. Hebrews 11 says that Enoch pleased God. So Genesis 5 says that he walked with God. Hebrews 11 tells us that he pleased God. How did he please God? By walking with God. What does God want from you? He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to trust in him. He wants to go through life with you as your constant companion, your guide. That's what God desires from us. How does this happen? It happens by by opening ourselves up to his word, by reading the stories, by doing life together and hearing the stories, by asking for his spirit to keep us close that we might abide. What does it look like for us to walk with God in faith? It's to believe that he exists, to trust that he is good, and to go where he leads. Church, we have something greater than even Enoch did. He's he's an example for us to follow as we're told in Hebrews. Look to those who have gone before you and imitate their faith. So Enoch, he lived in maybe an ordinary life. We don't even know. All we know about him is that he walked with God. So we need to ask ourselves the question, do we want to walk with God? Is that our desire? What will people say about us when we're gone? Days after we're gone, years after we're gone, What will people say about us? Will they say that you walked with God? If you want that to be your epitaph, that to be your story, believe that he exists, trust trust that he is good, and then continue to go where he leads. Prove that trust by staying with him and remaining close. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond to the gospel with music and communion. We have communion stations, two up front here and one in the back. And so as you feel prompted and led, you can come to the elements. The cracker represents Jesus' body given for you. The blood, the cup, his blood shed for you. This is another way that we increase our faith, that we build our trust. Jesus is a sign for us that God is good on his word, that he is trustworthy, that he fulfills his promises. We do this every week at Park Community Church to remind us that God is good, that in Jesus is salvation. And so if you believe in God, if you've trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, I ask that you follow him to the stations. If you've never placed your faith in God, if you've never trusted in his son, Jesus, I ask you to really consider that here this morning and abstain from communion as we believe it's for believers. But if you want to step out and trust God here and now, the stations are here for you. Also, the older kids will be joining us for this time to see the gospel expressed as we respond to God. I'm going to pray, and then we'll respond to God in this way and, and allow his spirit to move in you. Allow him to speak to you.